Hebrews chapter 2 is where we're going to be tonight. As we make our way to the text in just a couple of moments, I do want to say a couple of things because we are new in this study of Hebrews, and I want this uh, thought or these thoughts to be grounded and established and fixed in our minds as it relates to this book. I want to remind us first and foremost tonight that this letter is a letter that is written to Jews. Okay, This was a letter that was written to Jews It does not mean that a Gentile cannot pick it up and receive benefit from it. I think already as Gentiles we have seen a benefit in what's been written. But this letter was written to Jews. And then something else that I was aware of or I was reminded of this week as I was studying, and it's something that I want to bring to your attention. It's something that we probably know, but if you're like me, you don't think about it maybe as often as you should. But I want to remind us, that this portion of the scripture, as all scripture really, uh, this could be said about, but especially this portion of scripture in Hebrews, as we go through this book, we cannot afford to approach it from the mentality of a person living in the 21st century. Does this make sense? The world that you and I live in today though similar in many ways, it is obviously drastically different than 2,000 years ago. So you and I cannot go to the book of Hebrews and just read through it and assume that they thought like we thought, that they functioned in many ways the way that we function. It would be like you and I looking at U.S. history 200 years ago from our perspective or our vantage point today saying, well, why didn't they? Well, because a lot has changed in the last 200 years. And so we can't look at the book of Hebrews from our perspective here in the 21st century and say, well, why didn't they do this? Or why couldn't they just accept this? And we cannot look at it through the eyes of Gentiles either. If we want to fully understand this or understand it as much as possible, then we have to look at things through the eyes of the Jews who were living some 2,000 years ago. Think about this for just a moment. I know that you know this, but it may not have occurred to you or dawned on you uh, as we've gone through this the last couple of weeks. Here the Jews are, and for hundreds of years, if not thousands of years, they have been involved in Jewish religion, Jewish law, Jewish tradition. Does this make sense? As they've been involved in the Jewish laws, they've been involved in in the Jewish tradition, as they've been going through the law as prescribed to them by, by or through Moses there at the Old Testament there on Mount Sinai, as that was given to them, and then as it evolved over the years with the Pharisees and the religious leaders putting their twists and spins on things, that is what they have known all these years. And so for a man to show up by the name of Christ, that, that, that was the Messiah, you can understand, if we're honest, you can understand how that could have been difficult for them to just immediately to accept and to immediately adopt in their life and say, sure, everything that we've known for the last hundreds of years, everything that our fathers have known, our grandfathers, our great-grandfathers have known, sure, we're just going to walk away from that and, and everything that we're used to and comfortable with, and, and we're just going to turn a complete 180 and do something completely different. Do you know how difficult that had to be? We don't even like to change the seat that we're sitting in at church. Because that is our seat. That is where we sit every time we come to church. And, and we come to church sometimes and somebody's sitting in our seat and, and we don't like this. Well, sitting over here because this feels different. 
So here's a Jew one day going through the law, going through the ordinances, going through the sacrifices, and then someone shows up and says, that's no longer needed, and we don't any longer observe that, and we don't, we don't believe that way anymore. You can understand where in their mind it might be a hard transition to make. And so as we go through this, I just want to remind us, this is a letter written to Jews. It has to be considered through the eyes of the Jews. And, and, and we have to remember the context. They did not have thousands of years of, of development of the Christian faith and a better understanding and a giving of the Scriptures to where one day they held a complete copy of the Word of God in their hands. This was something that was difficult for them to do, and it required great faith for them to just switch from this to that, though for us it's so simple. Why wouldn't you? Maybe for the same reason people struggle with it today. It's not what they've known. It's not what they're familiar with. It's not what they're used to. So again, just as we go through this, be reminded, I've got to look at this, not from my vantage point here in the 21st century, I need to remember what it would have looked like some 2,000 years ago. I need to remember what the mindset would have been like, what the mentality would have been like, and hopefully that will give us a little bit better understanding of what's happening. Now, that being said, I just want to bring this to our attention real quick. I hope we'll understand why I'm doing this in a couple of moments. But throughout life, every one of us have been presented with this question. Why? Why? At some point, every one of us are asked, why? At some point in our life, every one of us have asked, why? Now, we know that with that simple, one-word, three-letter question, there can be so much behind that question that it can determine our response to it, correct? Correct? If I tell my kids to do something and they say, why? Oh, buddy, that was just one word and that was just three little letters in that word. But based on how you just asked that question, why, you're about to get a response that you don't appreciate and that you don't enjoy. You understand that, don't you? Okay. But there are times that someone says, why? They're not being obnoxious. They're not being obstinate. They're not trying to be difficult to deal with. They really do want to know, why is that? And you know what a person deserves when they ask the question why, with the right attitude and the right spirit? They deserve the best answer and explanation we can give. We have all use the line because I said. There may be a time and a place for that kind of a response, but when the person says why with the right attitude and a right spirit, it deserves our best effort to give an answer and an explanation for what we have just said or given by way of instruction. Now, why do I say that? I say that for this reason. The Jews, as I just mentioned, have struggled with who this Christ is. And as we have gone through this, what has the writer of Hebrews said? The writer of Hebrews has said this, Jesus Christ is 
God. I know that whenever you were looking for the Messiah, you were looking for a deliverer, and you were looking for uh, someone to come as king and to, and to establish his kingdom and establish his reign on this earth. I know that's what you were looking for, and, and since that's not what you got, you've struggled to believe that Jesus Christ is everything that some have said that he is. And so the writer of this book, as he writes to his fellow countrymen, fellow Jews, he says, Jews, you must believe by by faith that Jesus Christ is God. You must, you must, you must. As we looked last week, the writer said this, that as God has spoken to us at different times and in different manners through the prophets, God in these last days has chosen to speak to us through His Son, that being Christ, who is God. He said in verse number 1 of chapter 2, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Now, I don't want to re-preach last week's message, but what I want to remind us of is this, is that the writer said, because Jesus Christ is God, we need to give great attention to what He said and to what He spoke. And we know of all the things that Christ said by way of context and by way of relation to what we're dealing with here, one of the things that Christ said was this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So the writer of Hebrews says, Jesus Christ is God, and you need to listen to what he has said. And one of the things he has said is this, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No man goes to the Father except they go through him, that being Jesus Christ. And he said, what you don't want to do is let those words slip by you, fellow countrymen. You do not want to let those words, in a sense, float by you and not give it the attention it deserves. Because if you let it float by you, and if you let it go past you, and not give Give serious heed to it, you will not escape the judgment that will come. And so many people, even in our own society, it is not that they are defiant to Christ. It is not that they are defiant to people who are being religious, but their hang-up is this, is that they don't give attention to the words of Christ as they ought, that He is the only way to salvation. We live in a society that wants to say there are many ways and there are many roads in which a person can obtain salvation. And while that sounds good and while that sounds palatable to the taste and, and, and to the desires of people, it is not scriptural and it is not biblical. And so we've got to be mindful of the fact that many people are drifting into eternity, lost forever, because they have not given heed to the Word of God as they should and as they ought. Now, as all that is said and as the thoughts continue, here is what seems to take place. The author anticipates the simple question, why? Why? And as the writer answers this question that seems to come up, let me just say this. There are still people asking a similar question, though for different reasons. Why? Why? And you know what you and I need to be able to do? Give an answer. Give an explanation. This is why. Now, something that I don't understand, something that you probably don't understand, is the fixation or the interest that Jews 
in the time of this writing had in relation or in regard to angels. If you go back to the message a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned that the writer spent time talking about how Christ is superior to the angels. As I've done more reading this week and as I've done more studying on this, it is said and it is suggested by several people, I'm guessing, that, that uh, the, the Jews held angels in a very high regard. Now, you may say to me tonight, why did they do that? I just told you. I don't know why. But it was a point of emphasis in chapter 1, so much so that when we come to verse number 13, notice what the writer says in chapter 1. We'll get to chapter 2 in a moment. He said, But to which of the angels said he at any time, Sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool? Now, if you read those words in verse number 13, sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool, you may say to yourself, those words sound familiar to me. Where have I heard those words before? Where have I read those words before? And you would read those words in the book of Psalms written by a man named David. Now, who was David in the mind of a Jew? Who was David in the heart of the Jew? He was a national hero hundreds of years later. Uh, David to the Jew would have been like Abraham Lincoln or George Washington to us. Okay, whatever Abraham, or whatever Abraham, but whatever David said, and the thoughts and the sentiment that David would have expressed, that would have carried much weight in the mind of a Jew, or at least many of them. And so the writer begins to quote David in verse number 13, and he says, Now to which of the angels said he at any time, Sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool? And an honest Jew would have to say this, Huh? That was never spoken to any uh, angel at any time. No angel has been invited to sit on the right hand of God until the enemies were made uh, the footstool of the Lord. And so the Jews who are reading this would have to begin answering some questions. Okay, no angel has ever heard that. And he goes on to say in verse number 14, Are they not all, speaking of the angels, the ones that the Jews held in high regard for reasons we don't understand, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister or to serve for them who shall be heirs of salvation? Who were the heirs of salvation? They were the ones who had placed their faith in Jesus Christ. They were the ones who were the recipients of salvation. And so here's what the writer says to these Jews who are struggling with angels and Jesus and, and faith and works and law and all this other stuff. He says, now think about this, none of them have ever been invited to sit on the right hand of the Lord. And he said, for those who are heirs or recipients of salvation, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister to the saved? It's interesting, is it not? If you consider the flow of this, if you consider the doctrine of this, what he is saying is, is though angels are special, and we'll see in just a moment the position that they hold in order with man right now, Though they have this lofty position in the eyes of God and in the, the realm of heaven, angels still, according to the writer, have been commanded to minister or to serve or to wait on behalf of the saved. Now that would have been a foreign concept to a Jew. Because again, they held the angels in high regard. 
They didn't just turn over to Hebrews chapter 1, verse number 14 and say, Oh, well, of course, that's where the angels are at. And of course, that's what the angels do for us. And so this is new in their mind. And so they're hearing, okay, the angels that we have held in high regard, the ones that we have revered for, for centuries and, and for millenniums, okay, now we're hearing that they minister to us. So jump down now to verse number 5 in chapter 2 because he picks up on angels again. And he says, For unto the angels... Hath he not put in subjection the world to come, whereof we speak? Let me say something that I hope you'll take in the right way and in the right fashion. The writing of this is beautiful, but it can be confusing. Because if you just read this, just at a blanket statement at face value and you don't consider something, it sounds as though the writer is making a statement of fact that in the world to come, angels will be put in authority over the world. But as you read it, as we would most easily understand it, it would say something like this, For unto the angels... He hath not put in subjection the world to come, whereof we speak. Now, here's what the writer is saying. These angels that you regard and these angels that you revere, you need to understand something, angels. In the world to come, the angels will not have authority. They will not have positions of authority. The angels are not going to rule and reign in the earth to come. Now, I know we may be sitting here going, what in the world is that talking about? That's a different message for another time. But, but when the new earth comes, the angels will not be in charge of it. Notice what it says in verse number 6. It says, but one in a certain place testified, saying. What is the writer about to do? The writer is about to quote someone again. Who is he about to quote again? He is about to quote David again. You go to the source that you know the people will recognize, that you know the people will honor and respect the opinion. So he says, but one in a certain place testified or, or, or gave witness to this truth, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man that thou visitest him? Psalm chapter 8. God, what is man that you're even mindful of him? God, what is man that you would take time to visit us, that you would take time to, to give attention to us? Now notice in verse number 7, Thou madest him who? Man. Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Well, this doesn't seem to be helping your case any, sir. You've just said that angels minister to us that angels will not rule the earth to come the world will not be in subjection yet you say in verse number seven that we as men have been made lower than the angels how do you reckon that it's very simple because that's how god designed it there's a system here we may not understand it, we may not like to accept it, but such is the case. Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou, that being man, crownest him with glory and honor, and didst set him over the works 
of thy hands. So here is man, and what has God done to man? Well, from one aspect, he has made man a little lower than the angels by way of rank or position while on this earth. Yet while lower in rank or position while on this earth, it is the angels who minister to the heirs of salvation. But man in general, according to verse number 7, says this, that we as man have been crowned with glory and honor. And that is so, is it not? If you look at the world, I mean, as wonderful as it is, it is man who has been set with glory and with honor, and we have been set over the works of thy hands. Humanly speaking, not being spiritual in the matter, humanly speaking, who governs and who dictates what happens in this world? Man does. We're kind of at the top of the food chain here. We're, we're kind of at the top of the, uh, of the social order of things. Man, humanly speaking, controls things. Now notice in verse number 8. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. So how much authority does man have in the affairs of this earth? It would appear as though from verse number 8 that man has total control. He has total authority. He goes on to say, He left nothing that is not put under him, but now we see not yet all things put under him. I don't know if I'm going to say this from time to time, but I know I've said it already throughout the study. That's one of those pop moments where your brain just says, Pop, I don't fully understand this. We've been given authority over all things, but right now we don't yet see all things put under him or all things fully controlled, or, or under the authority of man. Maybe you understand this far better than I, but notice in verse number 9. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels. What was established in chapter 1? Jesus Christ is God. As God, you are superior over all. As God, you are over everything. You're over earth, you're over man, you're over animals, you're over plants. I mean, as God, there is nothing in this world that you are not over. Now, as God created and as God designed and as God set in place, you have God, you have angels, you have man, you have earth. And if you look at this according to the doctrine, according to the theology and the teaching of the Scripture, then you have God who is superior here on this earth. Man is a little lower than the angels, and yet the, the angels minister to the heirs of salvation, and the earth is subject, all of it is subject to the authority of man, and now you're saying to me that Jesus Christ, whom you say is God, he has lowered himself a little lower than the angels? Yes, that's exactly what he did when he came to this earth in the form of a man. Christ willingly humbled himself, he subjected himself 
to the things of this earth in the form of a man, though still God. So for a time, for a season, humanly speaking, Jesus by way of rank was lower than the angels, yet you see in the Scriptures how the angels could, would have ministered to Christ at the appropriate times. So we see this balance that we don't quite understand, but we see it playing out. Now think about this for just a moment if you're a Jew struggling with who Jesus is. He's God, yet he's lower than angels, kind of like me, but different. Right. See where that might be difficult to understand? You can almost see where it would prompt a question like this. Why? If Jesus Christ is God, if he was up in heaven like you say he was, if you say he humbled himself to come down to this earth, if you say all that and that's what you really believe, then, then Christian, you've got to answer this question. Why would he do that? So notice what it says in verse number 9, because the writer, somewhat seemingly anticipating this question, is going to give an answer. He says, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death. Why did Jesus Christ lower himself to come to this earth, to take on the form of man, to be lower than the angels? The writer says, I'll tell you why he did it, so that he could come to this earth and suffer death. That's kind of weird. Again, if you just think about it from the human perspective. Why would God, Jesus Christ, come to this earth, make himself lower than the angels, just for the purpose of suffering death? He goes on to say, crowned with glory and honor. That he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Why did Jesus Christ come to this earth? So that he might suffer a physical death. But in this physical death that Christ suffered, here is what he did. He tasted death spiritually for every man, so that man though he should die once physically, does not have to die twice, that being spiritually. Why did Jesus Christ come to this earth and non-believing or a struggling or skeptic Jew may say to the one who went ahead and accepted Christ as Messiah, who accepted the fact that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man can come to the Father but by Him. Why did Christ do this? So that He could die a physical death on the cross, so that He could take the sins of mankind upon Him, so that He could taste death for every man, so that by the grace of God, man never has to taste the spiritual death because God took care of that through Christ that day on the cross. That's why. That's why Christ came. That's a pretty powerful response, is it not, as to why? Why would your Jesus come to this earth? 
Why would this man that you say is above us, made beneath us, why would he do that? So that by the grace of God, you and I might be saved. So that you and I do not have to taste spiritual death. Now this evening, I said the thoughts are different, yet they are the same. Tonight we're not dealing with Jews, and tonight we're not dealing with Jews who are hung up on who angels are. And what role angels play in the life of individuals. Tonight, that is not what we're dealing with tonight. That, that's not what people are struggling with. That, that is not at all what our society and our culture is struggling with. But you know this from the messages already. I want to say it again tonight, though. We are living in a society that says something like this. Who is Jesus? Who is he? He is God. Amen? He is God. Again, their hang-up is not angels. Their, their hang-up would be so many other things. Well, well, why is Jesus better than this prophet? Why is Jesus better than this person? Why is Jesus better than, than this faith? Why are you so convinced? Okay, I understand it's a matter of faith. But by faith, here's what I accept. That Jesus Christ is God. And because He is God, it demands of us that we give earnest heed to what He has said. So as I look at this world that doesn't know who Christ is, who doesn't understand His position, who does not understand His rank, who does not understand His authority, it is imperative and it is critical and it is crucial for me and for you to be able to answer the question, Jesus Christ is God. So why did He come to this earth? Because it doesn't make any sense for you to say that your religious leader came to this earth to die. I understand it doesn't make sense. But you know what our message needs to be in response to the one who would ask why? It needs to be Christ came and made himself a little lower than the angels so that he could suffer a physical death. You know what we need to be able to tell our family members? You know what we need to be able to tell our co-workers? You know what we need to be able to tell our neighbors? You know what we need to be able to tell whomever it may be that God would bring into our lives? We need to be able to say to them, this is who Jesus is and this is why Jesus came. So that he could one day die on the cross for the sins of mankind. And, and I want you to know this is why he came. So that he could taste that spiritual death for every one of us so that I don't have to die spiritually and so that you don't have to die spiritually. They deserve to get some kind of an explanation, some kind of an answer from us that sounds something like that. Jesus came so that he could die on the cross for our sins and so that by the grace of God, we don't have to suffer the spiritual death that the Scripture talks about in the book of Romans and in other places. That's what a lost world deserves to hear by way of explanation. Who is Christ and why did he come? Christ is God and he came so that he could die, suffer on the cross, and so that he could taste death for every man. Now that is what a lost world deserves to hear. 
Let me just ask you something. From whom should we expect the lost world to hear that message? We should probably only expect them to hear it from those who have already accepted it and received it by faith. This message of death, this message of suffering, this message of coming so that he might taste death for every man, this message that is needed to be given to a lost world, it probably ought to be expected that the message would come from us and not from a source who did not truly believe what Jesus Christ said and what the author has so eloquently pointed to in the passages we've dealt with so far. It should be expected of us that this message would come from us to a world that needs to hear it most. I probably should not expect the news media to get this message out for me. I probably should not expect the newspapers to get this message out for me. I probably shouldn't click on Yahoo News tonight by way of the Internet and expect to see this kind of an explanation given as to who Jesus is and why He came. That's probably not what I should expect. I should probably assume that it is my responsibility to be able to tell people who Jesus is and why He came and not assume that that's the responsibility of someone else. Well, is it just my responsibility? Or is it your responsibility as well? Best I can tell, this is to be a joint effort. It is me and it is you that needs to be able to look to a lost and dying world and say, do you know who Jesus is? He's God, the creator. Everything we looked at in verse 1, the creator, the sustainer of this world. Do you know who Jesus is? He is the one who is unchanging. Do you know who Jesus is? He is the one who is above all. Do you know who Jesus is? Jesus is God. And can I tell you what Jesus said? Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And can I tell you why Jesus came? Jesus came so that he might suffer death and so that he might taste death for every man so that by the grace of God, I don't have to suffer the spiritual death. That's the message I should be able to give. And that's the message I should be giving. And that's the message you should be able to give and the message you should be giving. Now let me ask us this, and, and, and obviously I don't want a, a vocal response, but I want to ask us this. When was the last time we shared that message? When was the last time we shared that simple message of Jesus Christ with someone who did not know who Jesus Christ was? They, they didn't know. They, they maybe had some questions, but, but they didn't know. When, when was the last time we shared who Jesus is? I don't know about you, but I know for myself, here's what I'm guilty of. 
I don't let people know often enough who he is. And I don't let people know often enough why he came. Who is he? Why did he come? I know, but I haven't said it and proclaimed it and declared it like I ought. I'm just asking you this evening to answer this question. When was the last time you told someone who Jesus is? And when was the last time you told them why he came? We cannot force anyone to accept that Jesus is God. We cannot force anyone to accept why Jesus came. We cannot do it. But we ought to at least be seeking opportunities to tell people who Jesus is and why he came. I'm just asking you, when was the last time? When was the last time you even had a burden? When was the last time you even tried to direct the conversation with this person into a spiritual direction? When was the last time you you said, you know, I'm really worried about this person's soul and I want to talk to them about Jesus? When was the last time we had a burden for that? When was the last time we found ourselves saying, God, please give me a chance to speak to this person. God, I so badly want to visit with them about you. When was the last time we were burdened to tell someone about Jesus, who he is, and why he came? You know this as well as I do. I've mentioned this before. It's not like you need me to say this to know it because we already know it. But we can talk to almost anyone about almost anything But bring up Jesus. And all of a sudden, we want to be careful. We don't want to be offensive. We don't want to be someone who's pushing our religion on someone else. Is it really that pushy to just say this is who Jesus is and this is why I believe he came? It doesn't have to be unless we're just obnoxious and ignorant. We can talk to almost anyone about almost anything and all of a sudden we get all reserved and careful and we want to be non-offensive or all of a sudden we get all tongue-tied and nervous and anxious and uptight. And I just, I just don't know what to say. Just tell them what the Bible says. From my position as I read the scripture, all we've got to do is say, this is what I believe the Bible teaches. He's God. We need to give attention to what he said, and he said that he's the only way to salvation. Now, I know that may seem weird to you. I know that may seem odd to you. I know that may seem like a foreign concept to you. I understand the world that we live in, that that may seem hard to understand. But I believe Jesus is God. We need to give attention to what he said, and here's why I believe he came to this earth. So that I don't have to taste spiritual death. So that you don't have to taste spiritual death. When was the last time we shared that message? You've got a lot of people in your life that you cross paths with. I've got people in my life that I cross paths with. The message needs to be shared. The message needs to be heard. Let's all stand this evening, bow our heads for a word of prayer. Fathers, I come to you this evening. Lord, I am thankful for what I've already begun to understand to an extent from this study of Hebrews. And Lord, I'm thankful for how the writer